You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. If you follow my newsletter, you'll have seen that I had a cover reveal last week for a brand new teacup magic novella, which will be hitting my Patreon before the end of this month, June 2021, uh, for those listening in the future. And it'll be coming out for general sale in July. So that's Spellcracker's Honeymoon. So if you uh, want to sign up to my newsletter, there is a link in the show notes. And that way you won't miss this sort of exciting revelation. Okay, uh, we are reading Musketeer Space. Chapter 5. The Mending of Athos. The Luxembourg, on level 5, turned out to be a church of all. Dana had not expected that. Was it seemly to take brawling drugs and play at duels with brain-altering spaceship games so close to a house of God? Then again, the musketeers were up for all sorts of other vices and sins. Why not add sacrilege into the mix? The Luxembourg was a lavish installation compared to the cathedral booths that Dana had seen down on the main shopping plaza. A pure white structure behind a storage bay, with a bright plexiglass windows, which flicked through a rotation of holy images, the solonauts, starfields, and other images from early astro travel. There were no pointed roofs or gables in space station architecture, but the windows told you this was a place of worship. The tourist visa stud in her collar sparked into life as Dana approached the church, informing her that if she registered her palm print at the door, the church would present her with her own personalised religious imagery based on past preferences. For a moment, feeling lost and far from home, Dana considered it. But she was about to take part in a highly illegal ritual, so now was not the time to be leaving a trail of her presence on Paris satellite. Later, there could be absolution and comfort. For now, she had to keep alert and be ready to run if there was trouble. Trouble other than three musketeers waiting to burn her synapses out, obviously. Dana had assumed the spot behind the Luxembourg, that all three musketeers were so keen to use for dueling purposes, would be a spare storage space, or some other generic empty room with metal walls. Instead, she found that the corridor behind the church opened out into a meadow. Grass, trees, sky, tiny fucking daisies bursting up out of the alarming greenness of it all. Possibly the brain damage had kicked in even before she took the dose of duel. But no, as Dana walked across the soft, spongy grass, she spotted the bleeding edges of the scenery. The colour degenerated into random pixels here and there, making an occasional ragged flaw in an otherwise perfect design. This meadow was artifice all the way, the same technology they used to make churchgoers feel that they were stepping into the sacred building of their choice. Everything about satellite or station life came down to two things, conservation of space and the sanity of residents. Artifice helped with both though as each generation passed, it became less and less necessary to mimic dirt-side conventions with any degree of accuracy. 
when humans first came to live among the stars, they had very conventional ideas about what they needed to retain their sense of cultural identity. The romanticization of grass and sky, for example. The first artificial environments had been too accurate. Literal uncanny valleys that made the station residents feel more homesick than ever. Fantastical and creative artificial environments became popular precisely because they weren't a pale imitation of home. Dana had never before walked across an artifice environment that was trying so hard to look planet authentic. The wreck ground that ran across the top of the power plant in the centre of Gascon Station back home had been hacked by generations of teenagers, so the sky was a multicoloured jumble of graffiti tags and dirty jokes and the ground only replicated grass during the annual Locals versus Incomers cricket match. The rest of the time it displayed random artistry, as far as you could get from a plain old-fashioned dirt-side landscape. No one ever wanted to replicate an image of the planet of freedom, with its ice and rock and engineering installations. Dana had, however, lost her virginity in an underwater simulation of the ocean world of truth, so she did understand something of the planetary appeal, if only as a novelty. Perhaps Paris was different. This was the honour and valour end of the solar system. There might be more residents here who craved white bobbly clouds in a clear blue sky. And grass. This meadow had to be a valour simulation. From what Dana had heard, that terraformed planet was obsessed with recreating imaginary histories, from the olden days of honour, the planet of origin, in the days before the warming turned even the northern hemisphere into a place of desert and bushland and dry creek beds. No one had lived on valour further back than eight generations, so it seemed unlikely it would have genuine stone circles. Did that make this artifice meadow... A simulation of a simulation? Or another example of humans kidding themselves they belonged anywhere but the stars? The grass made Dana's feet itch through her boots. She was certain she would not enjoy valour at all if it was anything like this faux medieval cartoon. Her eyes longed for the plain, flat grey walls that were everywhere back home. Gascons didn't need to pretend that grass was growing underfoot. They got on with living their lives in practical, everyday environments. It wasn't just the meadow. Paris Satellite was trying too hard to impress her, and Dana was over it. Her would-be murderer, the first of three, lounged against a tall grey stone. Athos the musketeer looked less like a pilot and more like a retro-burlesque performer with those long, luxuriant blonde locks and matching beard. This was so much worse than the moth pilot from Myung. How is that hair not a major safety hazard, with all the cables and plug-ins required for basic flight conditions? Dana glared at him as she approached. Ah, the girl from Gascon, Athos said with a vague wave, not bothering to stir himself. Forgive me for not rising to the occasion, but my latest medipatch still needs two minutes to complete its clever work. It's not quite the hour in any case, and I'm waiting for my seconds to arrive. There was an open bottle on the grass beside him. 
was she expected to duel a drunk? Then again, perhaps it might give him an unfair advantage if he were anaesthetised against the sharp flashburns caused by duel. The Medipatch was a worry. Much though Dana wanted to survive this encounter, she also didn't want to end up with a dead musketeer on her hands. Dana drew close to him. If your wound still troubles you, we can postpone, she suggested. None of that. I have my honour to think of. Athos sat up slightly, grimaced, and lay down again. That wasn't two minutes yet, was it? Not even slightly, she said, not wanting to smile. Not at all. God help her if she started to like this fool. I hate waiting for things, he grumbled. His comment about seconds only just sank in. Dana glanced around. You invited others, did you say? More people to witness her shame and potentially steal her identity studs if she lost consciousness. Marvellous. Of course. You need a second to duel. I always invite two, because my friends are terribly unreliable and apt to get distracted. Athos gave Dana a sharp look from beneath his lidded eyes. You didn't bring a second? I don't know anyone on Paris Satellite, she confessed. No one at all? I just got here. I met Admiral Treville. A look of mild alarm shot across Athos's face. Yes, well, don't invite her. It's illegal, you know, for us to have these little exchanges. I knew, not an idiot, Dana snapped. The medipatch made a chiming sound, and Athos leapt to his feet, making a few experimental lunges. Excellent, all better now, he exclaimed, then doubled over in a fit of pain. Fuck it. Sit down, Dana ordered him, pushing him back down onto the artifice grass. She flicked open his shirt and peered at the medipatch. Where did you get this thing? Not from the official medibay. I may have found it lying around somewhere. Athos reached for the bottle, but Dana lifted it up quickly and moved it out of his reach. He made a low growling noise in the back of his throat. It's dodgy, however you got it. She tapped a few experimental codes into the flat patch. If I put in the code for anti-inflammatory, it reads as lung purge. There must be a cross circuit. Are you a medical professional? Girl from Gascon? Athos asked her, his face uncomfortably close, as she fiddled further with the medipatch. No, but I'm good at rewiring bad tech to make it work, Dana said, biting on her lip as she concentrated. We have to be out on the rim. Supply ships don't come that often. And printing anything costs four times as much. There! The medipatch chimed sweetly. Skin and blood vessel repair continuing, complete in three minutes, twenty-eight seconds, it announced in a babyish voice. Three minutes, groaned Athos, swooning again. I might as well be dead. You're welcome, said Dana, moving away from him so he could do up his own damned shirt. He had a tattoo of a sunflower there, not far from his wound, and she didn't want to be caught staring at it. His eyes brightened as he looked past her. There are my seconds now. You'll like them. Everyone likes them.
Dana braced herself before she turned, only to discover that the sinking feeling in her gut was justified. Two female pilots, one tall and slender, one short and round, strolled along the grass towards them, with the bright white shape of the Luxembourg church looming behind. Excellent, said Athos. He waved cheerfully at his friends from where he remained lying on the grass. Good news, chaps. We can get started as soon as I stop bleeding internally. Aramis and Porthos gave odd looks to Athos and then to Dana herself. A little early, aren't we? Porthos drawled. Quite a lot early, Aramis corrected. Unless you don't mean to say... Athos jumped in now. Why are you two behaving like a love and asteroids double act? Porthos broke first, laughing uproariously. Aramis was more reserved. Don't tell me this is the same girl who crashed into you, Athos. And the clod who damaged your new belt pole? My baby doll, three challenges in one day. You have been busy. She eyed Dana up and down. Dana bristled at that. I challenged no one, Captain Aramis. I simply accepted. You don't mean you're fighting all three of us, Athos broke in. Not all at once, Dana said impatiently. I wasn't expecting Captain Porthos for another hour, and Captain Aramis for two. It's not my fault no one can keep a schedule. My feelings are hurt, said Athos after a long moment. Didn't you think I'd give you a good enough challenge on my own? His beard twitched. Dana scowled, hating how they were flustering her with their teasing. Shall we get started, or haven't you finished cooking yet? Athos tapped his medipatch. Almost done. Fighting three of us without a second. Aramis, my love, you might as well put your feet up. It's hardly likely you'll get a turn. I can think of somewhere to put my feet, Aramis said, nudging him with her boot. Are you getting up, or is the kid going to have to fight you from there? She frowned down at him. You are mended, aren't you? The medipatch beeped its approval. Up I come, Athos whooped, leaping to his feet with a smoothness that belied his previous damage. He gave Aramis a smacking kiss on the mouth, then looked past her to Dana. Good patch-up sweetness. I can see you'd be useful to have around if I weren't on a bound to give you a pasting. Such a gentleman, said Porthos, arranging himself against one of the stone monoliths, as if it were the most comfortable of armchairs. She reached around for Athos's abandoned bottle and took a swig. What's your name, little one? Dana was sick of being talked to like she was a child. My name is Dana Amelie Alex D'Artagnan of Gascon Station, she said between gritted teeth. Can we get on with this? She looked from one musketeer to the other, wondering which of them had brought the equipment with them. Well, this is a duel, isn't it? So it is, said Athos, in a low purr that reminded her he was more than the lazy buffoon he'd pretended to be. He had to be more than that. To fly musket class here in the centre of the solar system, even if his parents had bought him a posh accent. On guard, then, little one. Let's see what you're made of. His hand flicked against his belt, 
catching up to the baton that swung there, and to Dana's horror it flickered into life, revealing a long silver streak of metal where empty air had previously been. A sword! A genuine sword! These crazy bastards didn't take pilot drugs and throw imaginary spaceships at each other. They fought their duels with edged weapons. Which explained, of course, where Athos got that wound of his, and why Treville was so pissed off about it. She was going to die here, with a long stabby weapon impaled in her body. It was impossible to guess what Paris Satellite was trying to tell her now. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. Uh, Come back next week for the next chapter, The Wrong Sort of Duel. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates like cover reveals. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.